Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Everybody, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Ben Holderness. You have found the Holderness Family Podcast. Congratulations. Congratulations. For finding us. Congratulations. We hope you're that, welcome. You're welcome. God, no, we really do hope you enjoy it. And we're very grateful that you're uh, that you're consuming this content. We are we're so excited you're here, you guys. There are a lot of exciting things to talk about, including our guests who we are about to talk to, who I'm so excited about. But eek. Our game, Family Face-Off, is on store shelves right now at Target. Isn't that nuts? That is so Isn't nuts. that really nuts? I mean, you and I have been patrons of Target, some of us more than others, <laughs> over several decades. It has been the the home base for a lot of the things that we need and we see you know the the Gaines family we see people who have their little their their bits at target and have always wondered like oh man that's that's never going to be us and now we have something in target yes i mean we're not going to have an entire section like I know, chip but and it's, joe it's a start it's one little thing could you do me a favor you guys we're so excited this was has been a goal of ours we're so excited by this if you're making your target run and you see our game first of all if you wanted to buy it that'd be cool but if you snapped a picture take with a picture it, of it, yes. So there are a hundred new clues in Family Face-Off for this exclusive Target edition. And it is one of those things. We are working on our second game right now, but the way games work and retail, it's going to take a couple years before it would be on store shelves. So if we want to get game two on store shelves, game one needs to do really well. Mm -hmm. So if you could help us spread the word a little bit, that would be really great. We're so excited about this. Yeah. So take a snap, a picture holding it and send it to, you know, send it to us on Instagram, Facebook. We'd love it. So thank you. We have taken some time this morning to speak with, this is really interesting to speak with an expert on friendship and loneliness. And, and to me, it can apply to so many things more than making friends, but it's a set of ground rules, really, that we learned and tendencies and revelations about making friends that 
as someone who's been making friends his whole life, I've never thought about it this way. We're going to be talking with Dr. Marissa Franco, and this may be the interview I've been most excited about mm-hmm. in, in the history of our podcast, because I am at a period in my life where I'm craving friendship connections. Yeah. I feel very lucky and very blessed to have a wonderful marriage. So that box is checked, right? I, my children who I, I never intended it to be this way, but their schedules, their lives, their happiness took up a lot of my time and continue to and happily, happily. And just, you think that may be the reason? And I think I let that, I never intended this to happen, but I let just driving them to practices and sports, which I wanted to do and just, you know, making sure they were, their social lives were taken care of and their academic lives. I think I missed out on, I think, especially for the last 10 years of creating new connections with friends. And I have been feeling as now that my children are doing the very natural thing at 13 and 16, they are way more independent, which means I've done a good job. They are feeling secure going out into friend groups and doing their things, leaving me looking around at myself saying, what the hell, Kim? And I have friends, by the way, if you're listening to this, you're my friend, I love you and you know who you are because as I, I will run through a wall for you, but I just feel as if I need to build it in more frequently and it's very intimidating and this is why i'm so excited to talk to dr franco yeah i'm curious to hear from her as well i think you and i have different types of friendship styles i guess Mm -hmm. would be the best way to put it Uh, i i'm a volume guy i have i have a lot of friends and i feel so blessed to have met these people. And I do think I have some level of depth and like I can depend on these people and that feels great. But converse to you, I think I, I don't know if I'm having the depth of conversation that maybe you would have with people who you call your friends. And so we have found someone who believes that there are multiple types of friendships and that you need to try to have a healthy balance between all of them, whether it's romantic, whether it's relational or whether it's kind of collective or in a large group. And we're, we're here to try to get our balance. Dr. Marissa G. Franco is one of the world's go-to experts on friendship and human connection. She's a professor at the University of Maryland and is known for her work on breaking down the science behind friendship, which is the focus of her New York Times best-selling book, Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Her writings and expertise have been featured in Psychology Today, The New York Times, NPR, Good Morning America, and now The Holderness Family Podcast. Welcome to the show, Dr. Franco. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we are so excited to talk to you. But baseline, can you tell me, why is it important to have friends at every age and stage of life? Mm. Yeah, well, I think we need an entire community to feel whole. In fact, the research on loneliness finds that there's three different types of loneliness. There's intimate loneliness, which is a desire for a close intimate connection, like a spouse or maybe a best friend or a parent for some. But there's also relational loneliness, which is a desire for someone as close to you as a friend. And there's collective loneliness, which is a desire for a group working toward a common goal. And so what that means is that we can feel lonely, even if you're married, even have if you have a spouse that you're best friends with. And I think part of the reason is, you know, 
even though we might have received this narrative that we only need one person to complete us, that if we're only around one person all the time, we're only experiencing one part of ourselves, that each part of us brings out something different within us. So we need different people to experience the different sides of ourselves. Like if your spouse doesn't like gardening and you love gardening, you need to find friends to be able to fully appreciate your love of gardening. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things I learned in high school was from William James, the social me, where he wrote that people have as many identities as they do friends, where you kind mm. of take and and I remember reading that and thinking, oh, that's kind of fake. But also, it you're right, it does unlock a different part of what what you could be in the world by each person that you meet. Now, you mentioned the spouse. Every wedding I've ever been to, they say, well, you're my best friend. I'm married my best friend. I love you, but I also married my best friend. You were here to say that that doesn't cover all three of the things you were just talking about. (laughs) It's impossible for me to be 20 people in a group for my wife. Yes, yes. I'm pro marrying someone that you're best friend. I'm just not pro making them your only friend. Yeah, that, that, that seems true. Now, how did you start, to back up for a second, how do you start in this field of studying friendship? How, how do you, why did that interest you? So it was, it came from really personal reasons. I, uh, in my young 20s, went through a breakup and I felt really bad. So I decided to start this wellness group with my friends where we met up, we practiced wellness, we meditated, we cooked, we did yoga. And I realized the most healing part was just being in community with these people I love that love me. And it made me question a lot of the beliefs that I had about friendship, that it was an inferior form of love, that, you know, this romantic love was the only love that would make me complete and platonic love was sort of trivial in comparison. And I just looked around and I was like, why doesn't this love matter? Like, why Mm -hmm. doesn't this love matter too? And so I felt like I was experiencing something that reflects our larger culture of people feeling like, you know, romantic love, that there's such a hierarchy of love and romantic love is the only love that counts. And that if you don't have that, you have nothing. And so I wanted to write platonic to level this hierarchy for, I think, the benefit of people in relationships and not in relationships. Is there one, I mean, because you you talk about, you know, the sort of romantic relationship, there's the family dynamic and relationship, and then there's this platonic friend relationship. All are important, are all are they all equally important? I mean, Mm. could you, I have several wonderful women in my life who I would run through a wall for, but they aren't in romantic relationships, but they have deep, deep community connections with, you know, other women and and friends. And that seem they seem to be riding and everything seems to be okay. But are you saying like you need all three? Do you have to have all three? I think what we need is like a diversity of social ties, right? So you just need like different people in your life to fulfill different needs. For some Mm -hmm. people, it could be, I have a big family. And so many people in my family are kind of like my friends. Like some people are friends with their family. Some people aren't. But, you know, even when we look at research on like, there's like a, a very physical health impact of our level of connectedness. So So there is a study that found that when they exposed people to the common cold virus, people were more likely to get the virus if they were smokers, obviously, clearly. But they're even more likely to get the virus if they didn't have a diverse social network. So they were more susceptible than smokers to the common cold if there wasn't a diversity of people in their social network. So just from a public health perspective, um, it's just important to us to have different people to fulfill different needs. I think, too, there's research on something called emotion chips, which finds that when we go to different people to help us work through different emotions, our overall well-being is increased, right? Because if we're trying to go to the same person to work through when I'm angry, 
when I'm sad, when I'm excited, they may not have that capacity for all of those emotions. Mm -hmm. So if we can go to different people, we can just get our needs met more deeply. We, uh, we wrote a book about fighting and relationships with your spouse really, or with your partner. That was really, that was what the book was about. And we covered some attachment theory when we did it. Mm -hmm. And that was with regard to really how couples attachments, a lot of times the different attachments bring out different fighting styles and different protest behavior. You also talk a ton about attachment theory when it comes to platonic relationships. Uh, Can, can you talk about like what, what do you mean by attachment style when it comes to friendships? Yeah. So our attachment style is basically a set of assumptions we have about how people treat us based on our past experience. And because I think in friendship, it's so ambiguous, right? Like, I don't know if they're not responding to me because they hate me or because they're busy, right? So a lot of the times how we're interpreting things is based off of us rummaging through those past experiences. Like in the past, this meant this. So right now it must mean this. And so what we see, for example, is that people that were anxiously attached to tend to experience a lot of abandonment in their past. They go into friendships assuming often that they're being rejected. They are hurt more by slights in friendships. They, what what they're defined by is like high effort, low reward. Like they're trying to build intimacy really, really close with people because again, they're afraid of abandonment. But for some reason, things are fizzling out. For some reason, their friendships aren't lasting. And that's because they're so susceptible to thinking they're being rejected when they're not. And when we feel rejected, we reject people, we, we become cold, we become withdrawn. So it sort of becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas you have avoidantly attached people who have basically experienced emotional neglect, like no one was there to help them take care of their feelings. They were told to you know shut that in, you know, I don't have space or capacity for you to feel here. And so what they, they know in their body is that if I'm vulnerable, I'm going to be rejected. If I show people who I really am, I am going to be hurt. And so what they do, they're characterized in friendship by low effort, low reward. They're not trying. They're either loners or they have very shallow relationships. They're not putting a lot of effort into their relationships because they see them as a burden. They don't understand that, you know, relationships can be this place where they feel deeply loved and deeply seen because they don't really let themselves be seen. They're never vulnerable. That's really their big struggle when it comes to friendship. But then you have these securely attached people and they've learned that it's safe to give and receive love. If I need something from someone, they will show up for me. If I'm vulnerable, people will love me in return. And so they go into friendships with these positive sense of set of assumptions. They do things like when I recommend to, you know, to, to make friends is to assume people like you, because that's what secure people do. And we find that when we make this assumption, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy called the acceptance prophecy. When people are told to go into a group and assume they'll be liked, even when that's not the truth, they become warmer and friendlier and more open. Hmm. And so securely attached people they they um, start with trust until they have a reason to take it away. They assume that they're like they're willing to take all of the risks of intimacy because their internal set of assumptions are that this, this is going to go well. And I've heard you say before that there that most people just assume that people don't like you as much as they actually do. Yeah, it's a, it's actually um, a phenomenon in the research called the liking gap which is this study that finds that when strangers interact and they're asked to predict how like they are, people tend to underestimate how like they are. Um, There are people that are particularly critical of themselves who are like, well, I'm an exception to that. You know, everyone else, maybe that's true, but not me. But the study actually found that this liking gap is more pronounced the more self-critical you are. So you think that the mean ways that you talk to yourself are the truth when they're in fact even more likely to be distorting the truth. Hey, hang in there. We're going to be right back. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, cathartic, exhausting, or even exhilarating. But one thing's for certain. If you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you will gain insights and uncover truths that you can only find in therapy. Get those personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support by signing up for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace is also affordable and in-network with most major insurers. To celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness to get $80 off your first month with code SPACE80 and to show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Holderness with code SPACE80. I would say I, I subscribe to that. I, I see a group, and I'm, this is left over from middle school, right? Uh, so I see a group of women at, gathered at the school or anywhere social, <laughs> and I just assume they're not going, I, well, it's not that I assume they don't like me. I'm just going to assume I would be a bother. I would be a burden if I enter, if I, entered the group and introduced myself, I would be burdening them or interrupting them. So I don't want to interrupt them or I don't want to burden them. Whereas my husband goes into the world and assumes everyone likes, he's a golden retriever. He just assumes that everybody's going to like him. I'm worried now though, because I'm not very self-critical. So there's not the gap. So maybe, maybe people don't hang on. I'm annoying. How does it it work in reverse? (laughs) What if you're super confident just, that everybody he's thinks so you're confident? He's just like, this, well, you're great. I'm great. Everybody's great. Shoot. <laughs> I think it's a great place to be because like we see that they secure people in some ways they create the reality that they, that they assume, right? Cause they, you know, you assume people like you and then you're friendlier and warmer and then people are more likely to like you. So I, I think it's a great approach to come in with the positive assumption. Of course, it makes you more vulnerable to what if people are like, oh, you're weird, actually. I don't <laughs> like you, right? Like, that's always a possibility. Yes. But but what we see is the reality is it's a lot less of a possibility than we think. I mean, there's this other research on talking to strangers. And this happened in London, which is like, they don't talk to strangers. The yeah. place to talk to strangers. Yeah. And so people predicted that when they tried to talk to a stranger, about 40% of the time, the stranger would be open to talking to them. But what they found was that in reality, it was 90% of the time the person was interested in talking to them. So, you know, I think the world is a lot more open than we think, but the problem is that we never test this assumption. We never reach out, we never initiate. And so 
the assumption becomes crystallized and never changes. And if it's like that in London, imagine what it's like here in the South. I, I, if you if you need future study material, just come on down here. Y'all come on down. Yeah, here's yeah. here's your case study of one. Uh, but I will say this, though. Here's the thing. I do have I do have friends. I have wonderful, deep friendships. I have women in my life who I've known for years. Some I've met recently. I'm going to run through a wall for these women. Ride or die. We ride at dawn. I got you. OK. He had, he's on 47 different text strings mm-hmm. with different you know, people he's met through sports. He'll try a new sport, a new band, a new any 47 text strings, people he've met last week, people he's known since college. I could also tell he probably doesn't know if they have children, what they do for work. Like he's not as deeply connected. Yeah, I'm getting there. But there was like we go on, I go on trips for like fantasy football drafts and Kim comes back and she's like, oh, hey, how is Jason doing with their you, new, They just their... He, he just adopted. And he's like, really? What? Yeah. They, and, that didn't come up over the course of the entire week. So does it matter? I mean, because I feel like I have a, a, you know, a smaller group, but I go deep. He has yeah. a very wide group, but he's maybe up here a little bit. Yeah. Well, here's what I can say. There is a tension between those two things, right? So mm-hmm. if you are someone who's making a lot of friends, it is going to be harder for you to deepen those relationships because that deepening requires this consistent interaction. And when you have a larger network, it's hard to have more consistency with one person. So I think that's something that I've had to realize every time I make a friend, sometimes that can mean it's going to be harder to deepen the friendships with these these people that I want to deepen with. So I've, I've had to figure out my own balance there. Maybe I'm, I'm still figuring it out. Um, and, and what we find is that across our lifespan, we tend to answer that question differently. And the reason is because our goals are different. Like when we're in our mid-20s, that's like the apex of friendship. We have the most friends. And it's because at that time we're seeking novelty, we're seeking adventure, we're seeking stimulation. As we get older, we start to think, well, if I only have this much time, I want to spend it with my really quality connections. We begin to look for that quality and that depth. But I'll say that I think at different times in our lives, right, like when you're going through something really hard, when maybe your mental health isn't as good, it might be a good time to focus on fewer connections that are stronger and deeper. But if you're feeling good and your priority at this time is newness, adventure, novelty, being exposed to you know different ideas, different settings, then it might be a good idea for you to try to expose yourself to a larger network of friends. So I would just ask you like, What's your priority right now? Is it safety or is it adventure? And that you can navigate friendship based on your answer to that question. So that's that's a great way to look at it. Taking priority, looking at what's going on in your life. I also think Kim and I have been, we've been, I think, dancing around this a bit, but there there is a difference, it seems, between like mom friends and dad friends. Not to be stereotypical, we probably are we we lean, into, stereot- we lean into gender stereotypes. Stereotype. Here's mm-hmm. I'm just gonna tell you how I make friends and how I deepen relationships. And it's going to sound a little different from how my wife does it and maybe how you do it as well. We want to, like, we really find, or I have lately found a lot of good friends by trying to beat them at something. So there's, (laughs) there's the fantasy football team, which is, it's like a stupid competition and no one really cares who wins, but it's a way for a bunch of guys to get together and then get to know each other. I'm on a tennis team. Same thing. You have a teammate. You got a guy across the way. You're trying to beat him. I have a pickleball thread where I play guys in pickleball. I joined an ultimate Frisbee league. And all of these things end up with, hey, afterwards, what, you want to go to the bar, get a drink? You want to go get a bite to eat? Do you want to talk and get to know each other? But it's, it's born out of 
like competition or trying to beat each other. I know that sounds crazy, but it has led to a lot of really interesting relationships. And then once we have those relationships, my favorite people to talk to are ones that I can disagree with, mm. that I can have like a critical discussion about politics or religion or, um, or learn something new. And it seems like that, that's sort of at the center of it. Isn't that strange? But I don't think it's unhealthy. Is it unhealthy? <laughs> well, I think in your, and that you were sharing, I was wondering, is competition the opening or is competition the deepening of the friendship? 100% the opening. It's not the, the deepening. Opening. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, in fact, once, once you get done, uh, you know, playing tennis against them, there's always hopefully like an hour or so where you can sit and talk, talk about kids. We love talking about how old we're getting now. That's like the, the season we're <laughs> in life because you know, the, the warranty is expiring and we're 48 or so. So I, I hope that's more healthy than the competition being the deepening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is really interesting. And, and it's sort of making me, me think, I mean, so first I'll, I'll maybe take a step back and overview some of the differences we find when it comes to gender and friendship. First of all, like when I was writing about this for Platonic and I was interviewing men, I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea we inhabited such different social worlds. Like this is so different. I can't mm -hmm. believe this. And again, I don't like to stereotype or assume every person of one gender is one way, but there are these striking differences in trends. Like women are twice as likely to be vulnerable with their friends in a given week. We, women are twice as likely to tell a friend they love them in a given week. And um, what I see in my class, because when I, I, I teach a class on loneliness at University of Maryland, is that generally mm, for women, there's a lot of overlap between how you treat a romantic partner and how you treat a friend. There's vulnerability with each. There's I love you with these. There may be even like a degree of physicality. We hold hands or we hug or something. Whereas for men, again, if we're painting brush, broad strokes here, there's just a, such a difference between how you relate to your friends and how you relate to your spouse. Like my spouse, I'll be really vulnerable. My spouse, I'll, I'll tell them I love them. And um, my friends, maybe something we're going to talk about ideas, or there'll be sort of like this competition that's part of it. And so there are, you know, very much these differences. And I was trying to figure out while writing this book, like, why? Like, why are there so different? So, so such differences because we know, for example, that vulnerability is very healing no matter your gender. And so why are there such differences, you know, in friendship here? And what I, and I, I don't think this is the full story, but what I came across in, in really trying to study this in our culture was that there weren't always such differences. Like in fact, in the 1800s and before, men's friendships were very intimate. They would share beds together. They would write love letters to each other. Like it was just very similar. And in fact, at that time, the assumption was you could only have these deep relationships with people that share your gender because genders are so different. Mm -hmm. And so people felt closer to their friends or there's even more romance in some ways in their friendships than with their spouse. What changed was um, Sigmund Freud and this other psychiatrist called Richard von Kraft Ebbing. And they basically argued for a different way of perceiving sexual orientation. So before then it was taboo to have sex with the, someone of the same sex, but sexual orientation wasn't like in identity, right? But they said, you know, if you are attracted, if you are having sex with someone of the same sex, it means you have this entire identity that's really disordered, right? And so if you're gay, you know, now all of a sudden having this identity could be suggested by many different behaviors rather than just sex. Mm. So you can't be too intimate with each other. You uh. can't have physical affection with each other because now it's an identity rather than just a behavior that's taboo. And so the lines of what demarcates this identity are a lot more, are a lot greater. And so 
what we tend to see is that people that, you know, it's, it's this phenomenon called homo hysteria that I think affects men's friendships more, which is like this fear of being perceived as gay. And so a lot of the behaviors that create intimacy, sometimes men can be afraid to engage in because it's like, well, this feels like romantic somehow, yeah, like being vulnerable or asking someone yeah. to hang out or telling them that I really love them. Um, and so that I think has kind of split, unfortunately, that, that cultural stance has sort of split friendships across Freud. gender. I, I have my critique of his many, and he does have a, a really good group of guy friends, but my challenge to him has always been go deep, feel safe going deep, ask those tough questions because I want him to experience that. And I think he wants to too, but maybe doesn't have a roadmap of what that looks like. Of yeah. there's not that's not modeled openly. Yeah. Uh, and I know again, we're 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 really leaning into gender stereotypes. I know there are men who tell their friends, "I love you." But have you ever told a friend, "I love Absolutely. you"? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I don't have that problem. But you, do you do it like, "Hey, um, love you, guy"? Or, or I is do. It like, okay, yeah, particularly. Well, no, that's great. Yeah, my 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 <laughs> my fantasy football league. It's so funny. We call them that, but it's like twelve of my closest friends, and we all, we all tell each other that we love each other. We hug every time we see each yes. other. Um, like that that I feel comfortable with that. I do wonder. You say go deep, and I. I feel like I am, but maybe there, maybe I'm just in the shallow end compared to what you guys talk about. Like we, like we talk about mortality and death and okay. relationships and, but I mean, it's, it's sprinkled in with other things. I don't know. I, I, Dr. I don't know. Franco, you were invited into our therapy session. Yeah, you're I really here just to talk through this whole thing <laughs> with us. Honestly, yeah. I think my advice to men who want those deeper relationships is that you're gonna have to go first <laughs> like you can't just wait for it to happen if it's not mm -hmm. the norm um so you're gonna have to be like the first one to get really vulnerable and i would say like what does it look like to get vulnerable i would ask you like what are you currently struggling with mm -hmm. and next time you see your friend tell them the thing that you're currently struggling with. okay i don't know if i do that that's good advice that um and I, whereas we went to the Barbie movie and Penn, my and my son, I took my pen and my son to the Barbie movie. My daughter was seeing it in the theater next door with her cousin. And then I brought one of my best friends and my best, she, she and I were like holding hands the whole time at, you would have, <laughs> she and I were holding hands and like leaning on each other the whole time. <laughs> and it, it is interesting. Like the physical touch for women is often there. Whereas anyway, I've never, I've never held my, uh, my friend's hand in a movie and cried. That is true. And it's very interesting to hear that that used to be the case. That used to be the case. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. What is something today I can start doing now than the people listening to make friends? Mm. So the first thing that I, I tend to tell people if they want to make friends is to reconnect with someone because the number one reason we lose friends tends to be that they fizzle out rather than because we're fundamentally incompatible. So if you look back in your life for the last few years, you can check your social media, who is I posting about, or even your phone texts if they go back that far. Who did I fall out of touch with that I wish that I didn't? And, you know, some people think, oh, they've moved on with their lives. They're too busy. But there's actually a study on reconnecting that finds that people are happier to receive our reconnection than we predict. This is just fundamental across social connection. We tend to be more cynical than is the truth. So these people from your past probably want to hear from you. The second thing that I tell people, and this just requires more time and more intentionality, is that if you want to make friends, join something that's repeated over time, right? Sometimes we want to make friends, we go to like one happy hour, one event. 
but we should take a class, for example, language class over time, sports league over time, because when we have that repeated interaction, we capitalize on something called the mere exposure effect, which is our unconscious tendency to like people just because they're familiar to us. So Mm -hmm. we see in the research, for example, that when women were planted into a psychology lecture, at the end of the semester, the students didn't remember any of the women. It was a large lecture, but they liked the woman that showed up for the most classes, 20% more than a woman that didn't show up for any. So this is completely unconscious. And what it also means is that if you feel uncomfortable at first, that's not a sign that you should leave and give up. That's part of the process. We okay. are wired to feel a little wary of people when we first meet them and they're not familiar to us, but that experience of these people will fundamentally change as you are exposed to them in greater amounts. But the last thing I tell people is that when you join that repeated group, whether it's improv class, language class, you know, football league, um, book club, whatever it is to you, you have to overcome something called covert avoidance. Covert avoidance is our tendency to show up physically, but check out mentally. Mm. We disengage, we're on our phone, we might talk to the one person we already know, You have to overcome covert avoidance by not just showing up, but engaging with people when you get there. Introducing yourself. Hi, I'm, you know, I'm Marissa. How have you been enjoying this event? What can you tell me about it so far? I would say when you just that last part, I have tried to become more of a joiner. I'm not a joiner by nature, but I've had to try to join more. I do pick the one person I know or or find comfort. I, I, I pick the one person who's also standing in the back. And then we link up and then I, I, yes, I tend to probably put myself in a position of avoidance, which is, I need to kick that. And it's something that I ask of my children. I ask my children to put themselves into situations with new people, but I, I know I can look in the mirror and know that I don't do that. Is does are, do the same rules apply for kids needing to make friends? I would say yes. Um, There's a woman that I met, she's really good at (laughs) making friends. And I asked her, like, how did you get so good at making friends? And she's like, my mom always told me, everybody likes you, they're just waiting for you to initiate. And so she was really good at initiating with new people. I think a, a really good skill that we can teach kids that will really change the face of loneliness. So I teach this loneliness class, right? And um, in one of my classes, all the students would hang out outside of class. In the other class, they didn't. And so I'm trying to analyze, like, what's the difference between these two groups? Like, why is one group so much more social than the other? And I see that in one of my classes, I have one student, Savannah, who's just like, anyone want to get lunch at the end of class? And then 10 people go to lunch with her. And then 10 people have more socialization because one person was willing to take that risk. And what I call Savannah is an igniter. And an igniter is a person who creates social groups. And when we have more igniters, it means that everyone else can be sort of passive about social connection and still get their need for social connection fulfilled. And so I think if we can, I know it's a, it's a high bar and not every kid might be made for it, but if we can encourage kids to be like, invite people, create the social group, like you can totally do that. And I think knowing that you know, everybody feels awkward. Everybody's afraid of rejection. Everybody, you know, is insecure. Everybody's just hoping that someone will reach out for them just like you are. Like, I think with platonic, I just wanted to hold people more accountable because I'm like, we sit here and we think, why won't they reach out to me? You know, why aren't they inviting me to things? But we don't turn the lens on ourselves and ask, why aren't I reaching out to them? Have I made them feel welcome? Have I made them feel accepted? Because fundamentally, People want to hang out with people that they think like them. 
<laughs> that yeah. make them feel valued. I love that advice. Be an igniter. Be the person. That's where I struggle. I definitely feel as if I'm bothering people. I feel as if I don't want to inconvenience people. But I, that is a challenge I'm going to take on. I'm going to try to you know, be an igniter, uh, create situations where people can feel safe to get together. It's pretty funny. Every time I've seen you in a social situation with multiple people, I think a lot of times a wedding is a good example or a birthday party. You have been an igniter. Like you're the one who got everybody to jump in the ocean with their clothes on last time we were at a birthday party. A little tequila helps. Like, yeah, but but you have you have igniter qualities. You absolutely do. I think that your your biggest barrier is what we talked about about ten minutes ago, where you just don't think people like you as much as they do, which is apparently very nice to hear from Dr. Franco that you're not alone. That everyone does mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? So I, can I take a, a slight turn here? Mm-hmm. Because you, you've set out some rules, you've set out some tendencies, you analyze these things and you find ways to, to put them in generalizations that we can all understand, which is really helpful. And it has been so far. How do the laws of family apply when it comes to relationships with brothers, sisters, parents? Ooh. Yeah. Is it, does it get tricky there? Is, are we on a different stoop for that? You know, okay. So family is not my area of expertise. Right. I will say that. But from what I know, which is, again, get a family expert to check me, what I've learned is that we can't compartmentalize what it takes to make one relationship healthy and what it takes to make another healthy. So a lot of the things I've told you about so far about how to create healthy friendships will apply if you want to go out there and date people, for example. Being able to put yourself out there, to assume people like you, to take that initiative, right? Like, there's not, I think we tend to, like, think that relationships don't have transferable skills. Like what I learned in terms of being a good husband won't apply when it comes to being a good friend, when in fact these skills do apply. And I think that is a really great reminder because it means that, okay, I already have the ability to be vulnerable because I'm vulnerable here. I just have to be able to translate that to a new relationship. I will say, I think, you know, the case of parent-child can be a little bit different because you're, you know, in charge of setting boundaries for them in a ways that you aren't with friends. And for example, like, Something that is important for being able to keep and hold on to our friends is something called autonomy support, which is like we support our friend in pursuing goals that matter to them, even if they don't make sense to us. So my friend's like, I want to quit my job and be an artist. And I'm like, oh, my God, I could never do that. Like, yeah, like what about the money, you know, the money, the regular paycheck. Right. But we know this is really important for my friends. So I'm going to support them in in reaching a goal that reflects who they are rather than who I think that they should be. Now, autonomy sport, also important for parents and kids, right? To be able to have a securely attached kid, you have to be able to figure out like, what does my kid actually want? What makes them passionate? What makes them happy? And how can I allow them to be that person rather than imposing the identities that I might want for them onto them? But I think identity support has more boundaries with the parent-child relationship. Like, obviously, there's going to be times when you're like, well, I don't think you can you know, eat five tubs of ice cream right now, even though if that's what it makes you feel like your best self in this moment. That is fascinating. So let's stay on that in terms of keeping friends. So you've done, you've become an igniter. You've made some connections. You, you, you're, you've put yourself in, in the way of friendship, right? You're repeatedly exposed to these people. Now, how do you, I think another area of struggle is keeping and maintaining those. I mean, I meet a lot of women and I'll come home and tell them, oh, she's amazing. I love her so much. How do I keep that going? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously continuing to see each other consistently is helpful. Creating that social infrastructure for connection. So 
you know, I have a friend who just started a self-compassion group where we're going to meet up each week to practice self-compassion. I've started so many groups like, you know, La Cena, Dinner to Speak Spanish together we have every month. I have a group where we explore different restaurants in D.C. every month. So it's kind of like automating your social connection by having this regularly occurring group could be really helpful. That being said, I know not all of us feel like we have the time for these things. And so I don't I think that if we don't have the time, we need to go about how we interact when we're together strategically. And so there are things that deepen our connections so that even if I only see you more sporadically, I'm still going to feel close to you. One is vulnerability when we're vulnerable with each other and telling each other what's really going on. The other is affection. The more that I am expressing how much I love you, how much I value you, um, generosity, for example, the more that I'm going out of my way to do things for you that are going to make you happy. And I will also say that there's something called that I call diagnostic moments in friendship. And these are the moments that people use to diagnose the overall friendship. And they happen when we're at our highest and when we're at our lowest. So when I, you know, got that job, how did you react? Were you like, oh my gosh, I have to take you for a drink to celebrate. I have to write you a card to say congratulations. Or are you just like, oh, I'm surprised they gave it to you. You know, like those are the moments we're really going to remember. Or our lowest moments when I got, you know, sick or I became a caretaker for my parent, you know, did you take the time to send me a care package to send me soup so that I felt better? Or did it seem like you sort of pulled away? And so if we are the type of friends that shows up in those diagnostic moments, even if we're not available to show up every day, it's going to have a powerful impact for maintaining our friendships. I want to go back to something I love. You said automating kind of a theme. I love I love a theme. So very, very stereotypically, there are, you know, book clubs and book clubs are great not to. And I, I think we're going to even start a book club. I love a book club, <laughs> but I love that it could surround something of a general interest. So you said you um, what is it? So you have a wellness group you started at some point. You have one where you just group. I, I, I speaking Spanish, the self-compassion I'm interested in. I mean, so like even there could be like a self-care Wednesday that you're doing this once a yes. month. Like, let's all go. do So pick something you want to do, you know, hiking or pickleball or something. And we're just going to try this new thing. Yeah. Suck it out if we need to. And maybe, that's, that. maybe that's what I, I was saying competition, but maybe those are just like big autumn, like we're automating. You're automating. Yeah. Mm, that's, yeah. A, that's a better way to look at it than trying to beat the crap out of each other in a sport. <laughs> but that's what what's com- sport is comfortable to you. It's my worst nightmare, sure. yeah. but it's comfortable to you. Whereas something where if we could pick a new hike once a month in the area where we live or pick a new trail to explore. And if it's a dead end and it kind of sucks, I don't know, we have explored it and we've had this we've had this experience together. Yeah, that's great. You can drop in whatever. I mean, is that what you're suggesting? Exactly. And I would say this may sound intimidating for some people or like, I'm not an extrovert, like starting a whole group. That's scary. And I felt that way when I started my wellness group. So what I did was I asked one friend first, I said, would you like to co-host this group with me? And then each of us could kind of bring in people. And so the whole, I think, you know, this is a common fear that nobody's going to come to my birthday party, right? I'm going to start this group and no one will come. But if you have like one person who's invested with you, it's like, oh, okay, nobody came to our group together. (laughs) We're in this together. So I would say if that's intimidating for you, start with one friend and being like, yeah, I really wanted to, you know, maybe create a group that delves deeper into writing or, you know, running or hiking. And maybe we could each invite one person to that group. And there you go. You already have have a group. group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I read something about a cookbook. I, I do want to do this because I love cookbooks. I will read them like novels, but then actually never cook anything out of them. But just picking one cookbook and everybody takes a different page and then you come together and it's sort of instant dinner party and you can talk I about love that. Yeah. And so the, I also feel the pressure. I love to cook, but I feel the pressure cooking for other people. So I feel as if I want to have a dinner party, but I don't want to cook you dinner. So this kind of takes the work out of that too. I don't know. I love this. This has given me so many ideas. Where can people find you? Where can we? Where can people get your stuff? <laughs> well, th- those who are listening who want more of Dr. Franco, where can we find you? Yes. So my book, which has more of the information I've shared today, is called Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. I also share tips for making and keeping friends on my Instagram, which is at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-A-G-F-R-A-N-C-O. And on my website, drmarissagfranco.com, you can take a quiz that assesses your strengths and weaknesses as a friend and gives you some suggestions or reach out for speaking events related to connection in and outside of work. I could listen to you talk about this all day long. This has been so fascinating. You've I've made learned, a new friend. I know, I've made a new Yay. friend. No, but I've <laughs> learned so much. And, I, and it's not as, it, I, I think I revert, back to middle school I have a very just very clear memories of being rejected in middle school from friend groups yeah and I instantly go back there right and so many of us do right so many of us and those those it's we're not in middle school anymore <laughs> and no, the yeah this is different they're gonna be nicer to you now right and it's so I just need to sort of I need to get over that and do a, a, the tiniest amount of work and I will say, I know we, Penn was just asking your information. We want, to, we want to be, you know, respectful of your time. But is there such thing as having, like, too many friends? Is that a thing? Well, I would just say kind of what I said earlier, that if you have a lot of friends, it's going to be harder to go deeper with each one. Okay. So figure out what your priorities are and um, decide accordingly how big you want your network to become. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 